Welcome back to Demand Gen Live. Great to have you here. I'm excited to go into a couple of key topics tonight. And then after that, I'll be flying out to Arizona to do a leadership team meeting. And then I'll be in Austin, Texas for the weekend. Maybe meeting up with some podcast listeners over the weekend in Texas. We'll see. A couple quick things before we get started. One thing that was uh, just made my day today, I was talking to... Um, someone that's been listening to the podcast for multiple years now. And she let me know that over the past two, since she's been listening, that she was able to double her salary um, in working with the company that she's working for, which made me super happy. And I just love hearing the success stories from people and everything that people are being able to accomplish. To, and all of the credit goes to each and every one of you, right? The information is available to everyone. It, it comes down to the people that actually take the information know how to use it, and then go out and 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 are committed to getting things done. So um, shout out to everyone. The success stories give me a ton of energy. So if anyone has any, feel free to uh, continue to drop them my way. Keeps me motivated and ready to keep, uh, keep doing this. So appreciate all of you. Second announcement, if you haven't heard, we are hiring here at Refine Labs. We opened up a ton of new roles. So roles that we that are brand new, net new roles that we haven't hired for before. So some of those will be coming on the website. They're, they're probably already there and other ones will be coming soon. So feel free to check those out to highlight a couple. Obviously, we got uh, directors of demand gen, paid media people, creatives with content. We got copywriters, designers, art directors, operations. And so if anyone's interested in joining the team, we truly are changing the game in B2B marketing. And if you are interested in helping out with that mission, we'd love to talk to you. All right. Now let's get into the agenda here. We got two pretty meaty topics. And given that uh, some people are already stashing questions on the first one, let's, uh, what do you say we move into pipeline velocity? And so the topic is why pipeline velocity could be the most important marketing metric. And I'm almost close to putting a flag in the ground saying pipeline velocity is your most important marketing metric. I, I'm going to check myself on that, but I'm pretty, pretty damn close. Maybe revenue is the only one, but pipeline velocity counts pretty much everything in revenue. So uh, let's get into what the metric means, how to use it, and why it could be your most important metric. So uh, for those of you that don't know, let's recap on the equation. Pipeline velocity, otherwise known as, known as sales velocity, is a function of how fast and how much flow of pipeline is moving through your funnel over a period of time and moving to closed one. Um, and so you can think about the velocity of a car similar to velocity of pipeline. And it accounts for the uh, calculation is pipeline velocity equals win rate times ACV times number of qualified opportunities generated during that period divided by sales cycle length over number of days in the period. And so I know that was a lot. For some people, you might want to write that down. We'll write a blog or something about it so at some point so people can have it. But I'm going to do it one more time just so people know. So imagine measuring pipeline velocity per fiscal quarter. Okay, So you have the win rate of all of the deals that closed during that quarter. So you had, let's say, 10 that came closed one and 30 that became closed lost. So you won 25% of total opportunities. That would be your win rate on closed ops. 
you have number of qualified opportunities created, which is a creation metric. So how many opportunities moved into whatever you call qualify, which would probably be stage two or stage three, how many of those happened during the same period of time? The ACV of closed opportunities, not pipeline, closed opportunities. And so out of the 10 opportunities that you won, what was the annual contract value associated with those 10 opportunities on average, divided by the sales cycle length of closed opportunities that's over 91 days and a quarter on average. So you can do that entire mathematical calculation. It will come up with a relative metric of how much pipeline or revenue is moving through your pipeline over a period of 91 days or a fiscal quarter. The thing that I love about this metric, and I know that equation was a little bit complicated, so I'm going to get back on track here. The thing that I love most about this metric is that it includes lagging, like deeply lagging metrics associated with revenue. Three out of the four metrics are based on closed one deals. And those are all used. So the historical performance of those three metrics is then used as a feed forward to predict future performance of the qualified opportunities that you generated during this period. The thing that's really like sort of impactful and important about this is that it doesn't, it's not only about pipeline. So a lot of companies are only looking at pipeline creation, not sales cycle length, not win rates or conversion rates, not ACVs. So they're just looking at pi overall pipeline creation. And in order to be able to drive growth and revenue, you can play with any four of these metrics individually and make just as big of an impact. So only looking at net new pipeline creation, obviously that's a good lever to, to move on, but doubling your win rate would give you the exact same outcome and would create more scalability. And so as marketers and growth people, right? Like this is actually like going all the way across from marketing and sales. So I'm gonna consider it growth or GTM right now, that looking at all four of these things that you have way more freedom and flexibility of what metrics to move and what will make the most impact in the business. Because when we go into companies, we're moving all four of them. We're moving ACV up, sales cycles down, win rates are going up and pipeline is going way up. And when you put all four things together, those things compound, you get a much more efficient system that can continuously scale and drive revenue. And then an interesting experiment that people could do once you make the equation broadly across maybe all marketing pipeline or your to company's total pipeline, you calculate sales velocity across all of it. Then you start breaking it down by pipeline source. And when I'm looking at that is how do buyers enter our pipeline? Examples, outbound call, demo request, trade show lead. Incentivized meeting with a get we offered a hundred dollar gift card for people to sit on demos and break those into different sources of pipeline. You don't actually have that many if you think about it. Once that meet contribute at a meaningful level, you probably have less than 10, often less than five that are meaningful. And then calculate pipeline velocity by pipeline source and start to see what's really happening in your data because there will be a couple that are dramatically higher and faster than everyone else. And that's how you narrow in and you focus on how am I, where can I improve? So where are there sources that are generally just underperforming that should be doing better? And where should I focus my energy and effort as a business leader, as a revenue leader 
to drive faster growth inside of the company right now. And so I think moving into questions would be awesome right now. I think that that's kind of sets the table and, and uh, looking forward to getting deeper. So I would encourage people to drop some questions here on Pipeline Velocity. Well, good news for you. Grant dropped like five questions on Pipeline Velocity. So Grant, welcome to the show. Why don't you come on and ask a few of your questions? We can have a nice back and forth here. They were all great. Great, thanks. Um, so one question about this is, if you were to put this as a quarterly OKR for someone in marketing, what function would you do that for? What do you mean? Like, like who would be scored on it? Yeah. So let's say, you know, each individual uh, or team leader has five uh, OKRs that they focus on, on a quarterly basis, putting like, a percent improvement, let's say, for this metric, who would you primarily uh, do that for? How does how's your organization structured? What are the options? Demand gen, field, product marketing, developer advocacy, PR. Those yeah. are the main buckets. Yeah, out of those options, I would move it into uh, demand, demand and ops. Like, it's weird. Yeah. But our marketing ops is in demand gen. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, if you're doing demand gen right, you span all the way across revenue, right? Like it really should, they should start to re, maybe I'll do it, like rebrand demand to go to market. It really should be the whole thing for a specific go to market motion, which is like marketing generated pipeline. And so, yeah, I think that like when we go in, companies will score us on pipeline, win rate, sales cycle length, like all the metrics that make up pipeline velocity. And so I think that that's, a clear owner that can impact all those metrics through cross-functional teamwork, given the options that you laid out, that's where I would put it. And when you think about the date windows that you're looking at for this, because mm -hmm. you know you mentioned win rate, uh, ACV, number of ops, sales cycle length, some of those are spanning multiple quarters, like the create date or the close date. What are the dates you're using in the calculation? So win rate, ACV, and sales cycle length are calculated off deals with the close dates in those periods. So if you're inside of a quarter, all deals that closed during that quarter, won or lost, the one deals would contribute to obviously win rate, sales cycle length, and ACV. And then the lost deals would help you calculate win rate. And then on number of qualified opportunities created, I would use the whatever, like I would date stamp when they move into a qualified ops stage. So we date stamp like stage two, stage three, when it enters. And I would use whatever is the qualified opportunity where you win more than 25%. I would use that date stamp to consider how many opportunities were created during the period that were qualified. Got it. Okay. So it could be, let's say two quarters difference, but it's sort of a, a way to approximate it. Yeah, it's using historical performance on closed deals for those three metrics, and then using the the qualified ops uh, created as the in period metric that then uses the historicals to calculate forward. So when you have like longer sales cycles and you might have differences in cohorts, right? Like it doesn't necessarily account for that. You might have to open up the time window to more than a quarter. But when we're working deals that are somewhere between. 30 and 180 days, I find that quarterly breakdown is perfectly acceptable. 
And then you can obviously do it on a year, an annual basis too. And do you see a difference in sales cycle lengths, whether it's closed one versus closed lost? Typically, and this is not backed by a ton of data, it's just my anecdotal feedback, is that typically I find closed lost deals to take longer because people are holding on to them or sometimes they just sit stale before they actually get closed lost or for whatever reason. But when you're thinking about sales cycle length, you're only including one deals. So ACV and sales cycle length will only include deals that you won, not deals that you lost. Right. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Awesome. Great questions. Thanks, Grant. Um, Kate uh, dropped a quick one. She wanted me to ask for her. Does this still apply if your sales cycle length is eight to 12 months long? Totally. You just do it over a year. So you just extend out the time window. I don't think there's any rule of thumb, so you should play with it because I think that six, like half years might actually be the best way for you to look at this because years might be too long. But you should play with 90 days, 180, and uh, and a full year and see what you get in, in any one. It should just shorten the window of opportunities that are in there, but it should still be directional. I haven't done it with a sales cycle length that long, if I'm being honest, but I have run it with companies that have like 200 day sales cycle, which is pretty close and found that uh, slicing it by quarter in that instance worked fine as well. Awesome. I got some other questions going in a different direction. Any other thoughts on pipeline velocity before we uh, jump to something else? I think this is something that a lot of marketers should think about adopting because when you frame it up this way to an executive team, and if you want, like sometimes I've even called it sales velocity instead of pipeline velocity. And then you can just go and you can show people website sales velocity increased by whatever, a thousand percent over the past two years that we've been doing this. And then you can show the breakdown of what's actually, how it's actually contributed to that. ACVs went up, sales cycles went down, pipeline went up by whatever percent. And it gets you truly aligned with the company's revenue goals. Because in order to move those metrics, those four metrics plus revenue are the only things that matter. And then there's obviously cost efficiency metrics as well. But generally, I think that those are those are great things to adopt. And shifting away from just pipeline and oftentimes a poor definition of pipeline and moving to this, it's going to get you a ton of respect from the rest of the go-to-market team by taking accountability to these things. And I just believe that it changes you from a marketer to a, a, a revenue contributor by looking at it this way. And then if you can truly move from reporting on sales cycle length and win rates and move to optimizing for it, which is a big jump. A lot of people say that they optimize for revenue. They really just report on revenue. Optimizing for it is very different because you then work backwards and you start to figure out what things should I do differently. Most companies don't take those steps. They just keep running what they're doing and report on revenue. We'll publish more details on this. I know the, the equation is a little bit complicated. So we'll publish details on this so people can uh, take the information and try for themselves. Well, your additional thoughts for another batch of questions on this topic. We're <laughs> right, down cool. to keep it going. I think we got a couple of, of good ones. Jennifer, I wanted to bring you on. I liked your question. And Nicholas, I'll bring you on next. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So I've I've had a lot of 
dimension jobs and a lot of marketing roles. And I never feel like I have enough control over the sales pipeline velocity. How do we exert more control? I mean, what control do we really have on these, these reps? The thinking that you need to get out of it is that the rep controls the velocity of the sale. The buyer controls the velocity of the sale. Fair enough. When buyers are coming into your sales team more educated, more ready to buy at what I would call a peak intent conversion, you will see sales cycle lengths compressed by more than 50%, oftentimes close to by 67%, somewhere in that like range. And so I always thought at the beginning, before I learned a lot of these things, that the way, and a lot of people think this way, is that the only way that I'm going to be able to impact win rates or sales cycle lengths is to train my sales team or like fix that process or like get more enablement or hire Sandler or whatever people want to do. And the number one thing you can do to impact those metrics for your sales team is change who they're talking to. That's what I've found. So optimizing for like, how are we going to get buyers at that exact stage? And then how do we get more of them over time? And then you start to see like, when I really saw this effect, it was because I was sending high intent conversions through our website to sales reps that had worked for the company for less than a month and we're closing deals fast faster than an outbound deal. Yeah, that's when I learned that the the buyer truly is in control here. And then as long gonna, as the, that's my mantra now, the buyer controls the velocity. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Thanks for the question. Yeah, that was a good one liner. It's a good quotable quote. <laughs> Nicholas, I'll bring you on next. I, everyone was digging your question. Welcome back to the show. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this a couple of times because it's a little, a little, a little deep for my feeble brain to get on the first try. So, um, question for you: I, if I if if I understand this correctly, and what you're talking about, I w- I would assume that there's a lot of variables, especially when it comes to your pipeline based on source and intent. And so, with that being said, there, I think it's at least it's for us. It feels like some channels just their level of intent is just naturally a lot higher as they come to the pipeline than others. So how do you, with that, with that variable in mind, how do you diagnose and say, okay, we have a problem here. We need to fix this aside from just like what's winning and what's losing. How do you diagnose and say, well, no, they're like, this is going at the right speed just based on this channel, because this is about as fast as that's probably going to go based on how they're coming in. So how do you diagnose problems and, and what do you look to, do to try to fix if something's underperforming to either cut it or say, let's do these, these things to -hmm. try to make things go faster. Like how do you put gas on the fire when it needs, when it needs to have gas? Yeah. I wouldn't look at pipeline velocity as a way to narrow in and diagnose and make optimizations. I would look at different reports for that. I would use pipeline velocity as the number one metric in marketing or in go to market generally or if you own a certain pipeline source, right? So the people for field, if you own like the events pipeline and then demand owns the website pipeline and then the outbound team owns the outbound pipeline, like all three of those teams could be optimizing for pipe sales velocity on their pipeline source. And then over time, you just generally know whether you're getting closer to your goal and not and what metrics are moving in the right or the wrong direction. If I'm looking to make, make diagnoses, I'm going to go in into much deeper level of detail inside of the reports. So sales cycle lengths are getting longer, win rates are going down. Why is that happening? At what stage of the process are we losing more? Where are the conversion rates dropping is between, you know, initial conversion and meeting booked or are we losing people after the first call because they're not truly qualified because we're running performance marketing. 
I would use different reports to narrow in and diagnose what to do differently, but pipeline velocity becomes like the main, main metric outside of revenue that I would report on to at the executive level. Okay. Do you also use this as a means of, because I, I think when I look at pipeline and I look at different sources, I look at things that I, I sometimes am guilty of, of having assumptions and saying, well, I think just based on what we know now, this is probably more or less true or false on how fast this should be moving. Do you believe it's really important because it, it helps you nail down more concrete assumptions and you use that as a way of predicting kind of other things like what you want to do in the future? And that's how you kind of create some level of predictability. Mm, to me, it, it kind of becomes a North Star metric. There's always room to keep it getting better, right? And there's, so there's always a way to keep growing, whether that's pipeline or win rates or all of them. So, and then on the intent side, it's 100% true that buyers from different pipeline sources will have different levels of intent. And if you look at a cohort of people that come in that are, if they all have the same level of fit, people that come in and ask for a demo request versus people that you, you know, get some intent data and cold call or people that you cold call from Zoom info or some contact database, the demo requests are going to win the most. The intent data is going to be way lower, but still higher than cold and cold is going to be the lowest just because there's clear differences in the level of intent between those buyers. If you run this back based on pipeline source and you stack them up, which is a process that we use called split the funnel and you just look at it, you can also add pipeline velocity to the equation. And then you start to really see it's not only about like lead to win rate or sales cycle length. When you start to put them together, you see like, oh, our cold outbounds win at the lowest rate, have the longest sales cycles. They sometimes have the highest ACVs, but still pipeline velocity is so low because the other efficiency metrics are poor. Yeah. And so do you ever look at that? Do you ever, is that how you make judgments and you go, you know what, as an example in, in your illustration there, you go, we want to either alter or gener generally cut the outbound measures, just as an example. Yeah, uh, yeah. If, if they're really, really sucking, this is how we know they're really, really sucking. And we want to allocate resources or things to this, whether it be events or whether it be inbound or whatever. As I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about, I, I want to start reporting on this. I want to have more concrete data like this to where I can say, okay, our events strategy really blows and we need to do away with that completely because of X, Y, and Z, not just of the obvious things that you see on the surface, but like really making a, a, a bulletproof argument to the CEO using this, this measurement. Is that, is that how you're, you're doing that? And when do you look at something and say, this is kind of fledging along, maybe we need to do X, Y, and Z. It's, I think you might've answered that a little bit already, but I'm just wanting, I'm trying to get out of the attack it with tactics type mentality and, and figure out, okay, how do you really think about this holistically? And it doesn't necessarily need to be used to kill programs, but when you stack them up one against the other, you should see what are our highest performing and what are our lowest performing. And then what are the op what are the benefits of certain ones? So like, well, you might get way lower win, win rates and higher and longer sales cycles with outbound. You often can also get higher ACVs and more pipeline, depending on how you define it. 
Right. You define it with a win rate, maybe not. If you define it as what most companies do, you can definitely create more pipeline on demand without bound, mm-hmm. um, which is why, again, I'm recommending companies set a flag that says you need to win this at 25% before we consider it qualified. Then you can start to play to the strength of like, okay, well, if sales cycles are going to be long and win rates are going to be high, like how do we, can we keep pushing up ACV? Can we keep being more targeted? So I, I wouldn't necessarily use it as a, as the only way is to kill programs or compare one against the other, but generally looking at where are, where are the biggest opportunities to improve each of these core programs? And if we were going to make investment decisions and how to scale, does this data inform us in a better way than what we're using right now? I would say oftentimes, yes. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Nicholas. Great camera. Everyone's complimenting you in the chat. It's a $600 um, investment. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for the information. Tori, my good friend, Tori, welcome to the show. Excited for you to ask a question. Great. Thanks. So Chris, uh, I was hoping you could expand on how source kind of plays into this entire calculation, right? So uh, you've been talking about pipeline source, which I, I feel like is the, the starting point. You know, when we do the, the look back analysis, when we're splitting the funnel, a lot of times we're looking at original source, maybe the most recent kind of conversion point. And so I'm hoping, you know, uh, you could just kind of expand on how maybe looking at pipeline velocity from those different views of the source, even self-reported attribution source might kind of impact how you utilize the, the output of the pipeline velocity calculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, this is separating the channel from the conversion activity that created the pipeline. That's it. So in HubSpot's original source and self-reported attribution and attribution software, it's going to tell you the channel which does give you some interesting information at times. But what I found to be a much better predictor is the action that someone takes that gets them into your pipeline. So requesting a demo, getting a badge scan at a trade show, getting a cold call or a cold email or something like that. Those are sort of like the pipeline sources that I'm looking for. Most people don't look at it that way. So they either do one of two things. They'll look at it at the channel, like all the leads that came from Google, all of the leads that came from Facebook, ones that came from LinkedIn, regardless of the action that the person took in order to get into the pipeline, or they'll just look at marketing all blended together. And just say, oh, here's all the marketing stuff and calculate pipeline velocity off that. And if you're able to understand that the intent that a buyer has will dramatically change and impact their conversion rates, their sales cycle lengths, things like that, it's just like, it feels very obvious to me right now that you would acknowledge that different how people enter your pipeline is a signal to intent and will therefore have much different metrics and dynamics when you make this calculation. And so looking at this and stacking it up between events, cold outbound and website sourced or high website sourced high intent. And you made those three or four like events might be getting you more revenue, but the velocity is way slower. The scalability might not be there the amount of pipeline that you're creating per advertising dollar or program dollar, or the amount of revenue generated per program dollar may not be as strong. Um, And so those are like, when you dig a little bit deeper into the pipeline source, you can start to look at each individual thing and decide like, 
which one am I, which one do I want to scale? And then you get to some of the companies that we work with that have been with us for a long time where like 90% of their marketing sourced revenue comes through their website with a buyer saying, Hey, I want to buy now. And that stuff is growing 30 or 40 or 50% every quarter um, and has been for the past eight fiscal quarters. Then you're like, the events are, are nice. Everything else that we're doing is nice, but we have this machine that's driving buyers that are coming through, closing way faster than outbound, winning at way higher rates. We have control over how much pipeline we can generate. And then you start to really get in the driver's seat. That starts to get into where you can play a lot of marketing offense when you start to, when you have a solid foundation that you can build off with great conversion rates, good process between sales and marketing, alignment at the executive level about what we're trying to accomplish and a marketing strategy that's being executed well and delivers, then you are in a really cool position. And so you're looking at pipeline velocity on a quarterly basis as a way to judge if you're improving that individual source, not so much of using it to continue to stack rank which of your sources are the high performers. Because as you continue utilizing it, right, the top performer is just going to separate itself from the rest of the field. Let me share something. Like, this is how I'm graphing it. Like, so you can see, like, over this period of time in Q4, this is the amount of expected revenue that will be created off of the pipeline that was created in Q4. It's not going to close right then, but based on the historical win rates, sales cycle lengths, and ACVs, that the pipeline that we created in Q4 will deliver $3.38 million in revenue over the in the future, which means that we went from this company doing 50, 75K a month on average of revenue through the website to now more than a million dollars a month. And so the pipeline production combined with the win rates and the sales cycle lengths create this like very strong motion where if you're reporting to the board or you're reporting to somebody else, I'd encourage marketers to use this metric because if you execute properly, it's one that's going to make you look the best. It includes all of the metrics that matter that other people don't see. Like other people don't look at sales cycle lengths and win rates as a way to impact revenue. It's crazy, but a lot of people don't. They just think about how are we going to get more pipeline? Doesn't matter where it comes from, all the pipelines the same. Doesn't matter about the win rates. And a lot of people think that way. And so by showing them, hey, like it's not only that we created $5.8 million in pipeline last quarter instead of $1.7 million, but we also win half of it now instead of 25% of it. And so we're going to generate way more revenue for that reason. And so I think about this as a way to report and a way to flag and optimize. Um, But I consider this like, if you had three or four metrics that you're going into the board with every quarter, like, and you want to put up a chart, like this would be a great one to put up. That's great stuff. Thank you, Chris. All right. Um, I heard uh, my friend Kate sent this to you over LinkedIn, and I got to get this in for her. Her CEO would strongly prefer data to support the viewpoint that they need to move towards demand gen away from lead gen and stop gating content. What kind of data can I provide to him? Is there research that proves these tactics? Yeah, don't go look for research. The data is in your CRM and it's way more relevant. So run an analysis of that. Most people that are gating content do it for two reasons, to have a sales action directly after it, like an outreach cadence or cold call, or to push through email nurtures to hit an MQL score to do the same thing. And so whatever the outcome is, just track against that, like 
the way that someone gets into the funnel would be a content download and then track the effectiveness over a 12 month period of time about how many people go from that into becoming a customer and how much money is being spent from both resources and salespeople's time and things like that. And you should be able to calculate how many leads it's going to take you to win one deal. I've done with some companies that push a ton of people through this, like 100 million ARR companies that push a bunch of people through automation, like uh, eBooks through automation and showed them that all I looked for is if the person ever touched an ebook campaign and then became a customer and they won seven total customers for like 300k ARR, a hundred million dollar business that was generating thousands of ebook and content downloads and things like that and didn't map back at all with not, not last touch, any touch. And so there's usually clear data in the CRM to support moving away from this. And then you have to be able to present what are we going to do instead that's going to work better? And so I think that's where there's part of it of telling, showing people that, hey, like what we're doing right now is suboptimal, which is oftentimes very easy. The thing next that needs to happen is you need to be able to build trust in a new plan that people believe in that are going to leave the safety of what they've been told to do by Serious Decisions and Forrester and Gardner and all those companies for a very long time to leave that and go in to do something new. And I've done that before in my career. It changed my life, but it is uh, typically pretty difficult. And so you got to be able to look at data, have confidence in your plan. What I found and when I looked at this is like, we have all these people that are downloading eBooks over here and here are the win rates and the revenue and the pipeline created. Here's what our sales team thinks about following up with those leads. And then here are the people that are over here asking for demos and different things like that. And here's what our sales team thinks about them. Here are the win rates. Here are the sales cycle lengths. Here's the pipeline created. Here's the revenue. And you stack them up one against one another with the understanding that the people that ask for demos, as long as they're not direct response, have a clear high intent to buy, which is different than someone that downloaded an ebook. And so that data should be able to help. The last piece is that just calling the people usually gives you a pretty good signal. If you're asking your sales team to do it, like I've had a I've had a VP of sales do this to see what's actually happening when they're like, hey, can we get 500 more leads? I say, we can, well, I'll give you five and you can call them and you can let me know if you want the other 495. I think people really do need to see it for themselves. I didn't understand what's going on really until I did this. And it changed how I do marketing forever because it makes no sense to send your sales team these people. They don't, they say, I've never heard of your company. Stop calling me. They ignore you. I don't remember filling that out. It's just annoying people that don't want to buy from you. But I acknowledge that a lot of people have not taken that leap yet. And so sharing the data with them about what's actually happening, because a lot of people don't know, they just measure on MQLs. And you got to show them what the whole cycle looks like, how much money is being spent and all the other associated metrics around it. Um, we do have a full uh, process and data published on that one that we have uh, released in the alpha group of a product that we were launching called The Vault. Um, and we'll be letting another 20 people into that product in April or May. And the waitlist is quite long. So if you want to get on the waitlist, you could join the, the waitlist on the website. And... Uh, we have the whole thing documented with uh, instructions and, uh, and some templates to go through it. Wow, you dropped a vault teaser, fun. Oh yeah. Um, Chris, 
Gumas, I'm going to bring you on next. You had a bunch of questions, so you can ask a couple and I'll, we'll get Scott on right after. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. We've been listening for several months now and really love it. If I had my background up, you'd see my podcast background because we've actually launched a podcast in our space. So um, I'm trying to follow Chris's lead. It's, uh, it's fun and exciting. It's a lot of work, but I think it'll pay off. Nice. Um, love hearing that. No, thank you. So my question, we were going through the pipeline velocity there and quick thread through the chat sort of to talk about, can you throw out tactics that clearly don't work? Can you, can you create evidence to go to your CEO and say, this clearly doesn't work? And so I was wondering, can you divide your um, pipeline velocity by customer acquisition cost? And the thread further kind of clarified, you can do a blended to know what the company's average is on a whole. But if you have something like a trade show, there is kind of a way of coming to a customer acquisition cost from that event because mm -hmm. it's usually pretty big numbers and it's usually kind of bounded by budgets, et cetera. So now you can compare, you know, take your overall pipeline, divide it by the pipeline velocity by customer acquisition cost average, and then compare that to customer acquisition cost trade show. And in theory, my guess is, especially in today's age, you're going to see wildly different numbers. Is that evidence that you would typically think about? So I would think about customer acquisition costs and pipeline velocity as separate metrics. I wouldn't try and blend them together. If you're running direct response marketing through every channel, which a lot of B2B companies do because it's the only way to facilitate attribution and they prioritize measurement over effectiveness, that a lot of companies will do this. They'll run single channel lead gen on Google ads, LinkedIn ads, they run as scan as many badges on trade shows. They'll give away gift cards through LinkedIn DMs and different things like that. Everything that they do is 100% trackable and 100% transactional direct response. And when you and then after that, there's always a sales action. And when you look at that, you can stack out by every single channel or program. You can look at it from lead to win, but then you can also use every single metric: win rate, sales cycle length, pipeline created, things like that to get you pipeline velocity. And then you can look at total cost and you can create individual, what I would call program cost of acquisition. So it doesn't include headcount, tech, things like that. It's just literally the program expense of acquisition. And then you can stack all of those different things up. And the stuff rises, if you sort them by velocity and CAC, like the stuff that's good rises to the top and the stuff that sucks goes down. And most companies run that way. And so that's like a more advanced version of split the funnel, which is just looking at each individual direct response or lead, lead gen channel and then calculating those metrics. And you can look, and some companies have like, you know, $5 million pipeline velocity per quarter for website and like $200 for incentivized gift cards or something like that because they never win anything and it takes forever. And so those are some of the, dynamics that you can get. There are definitely some winners and some losers in that process. And it's 100% feasible. Everything that you're doing is to trigger a sales action, which most companies that run DR, um, that's what they do. Then you can just easily stack all those up and, and calculate all the metrics and compare them. Okay. I remember now at the beginning of the talk, you did talk about running a full pipeline velocity by source. And kind of as you got going, I started blending everything you were saying together and forgot that one little detail. Both metrics matter. So I'm looking at like what metrics really matter. Pipeline velocity, revenue, customer acquisition costs is probably the three 
top level business metrics that I'd be looking at. And then you have qualified pipeline creation per time and cost per SQO would be sort of the top five business metrics that I would report on. Okay. Thank you. Good to have you on here. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you. All right, Scott Marker, take two. Let's do this. You're on live. Welcome to the show. Am I there? Working on it. Yep. (laughs) Yay. Hey, Chris. Hey, Hey, like I said, I I had a different question that I love this topic. I don't want to keep stop the momentum. So um, change it up. Uh, um, I work for international companies and then small companies. In small companies, I was in charge of uh, some of the marketing, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do this the velocity which I should have. But what I'm, I'm asking about is it made me think about it as you're talking is because it, it, I cannot believe <laughs> I never thought of it in other companies. But on the velocity, doesn't that like totally impact your CAC, the cost of acquisition of a customer? Because um, we we didn't ever take someone closed in six weeks, six months, or two years. It was just, oh, we got a, we got a new, you know, we got to close, you know. But doesn't that affect that, that metric too? There could be some correlation between the two, right? Lower win rates could indicate that it'll be higher cost of acquisition, but it doesn't. It's not always the case. It won't necessarily always happen that way. The thing that that you see when you actually put this metric out is that, like, if it's taking you two years to win a deal from creation to end versus it's taking you six months that as you create pipeline over a period of time that you win way more when the sales cycle length shorter, if you're creating the same amount of opportunities during the period of time, there's a scalability and a growth metric that compounds if you're able to start to impact multiple of these metrics at once, specifically sales cycle length and when they all matter, but sales cycle length and win rate, I find to be the most movable from a marketing perspective. It, it just seems though that on the cost of acquisition, because time is money, is if it's taken, if you're not keeping track of how long it's taken, I mean, if you're not adding that into it, it, it seems like it would infect it because you're taking all those resources for again six months or a year, yeah. and if you're and maybe through your website you're you're doing them in you know um, six months versus like you were talking trade shows, it's taking a year, and all those costs have to be taken in, yeah, in consideration. Specifically, the sales portion of CAC would go up in that case, just because there's more sales teams' time. Or uh, same thing said a different way: if the sales cycle lengths are longer, then you're winning less customers over a period of time. So less customers is the bottom part of the equation in the in the division. So if you have two at the bottom instead of ten, then you get a you get a higher number. So I'm with you that. If the sales cycles are longer, then the sales portion of the acquisition cost oftentimes will go up. But usually what I'm looking at in this one is what is the marketing program cost against revenue? So because the uh, the sales expenditures is really difficult to look at at that granular of level. You like it's almost you almost have to look at it blended. Perfect. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Scott. Glad we got you in there. All right. I don't know if we're going to save the other topic to, for next week because that's another big one. Do you want to close out with a quick riff on it or anything else? Yeah, yeah. Let's get it. Let's get it started. Maybe we'll get a couple of questions and it'll spark uh, maybe a future chat. But I just want to 
get some details out on this one because we're getting a ton. I get a ton of questions on LinkedIn DM about this one specifically. And the question basically comes down to the idea of like, we're selling a 5K ACV SaaS product. We're early stage company and we're building out our go-to-market strategy. And what we're going to do is we're going to have predictable revenue, SDRs and AEs, and we want to hire Refine Labs to run all of our demand. And I go back to them and I'm like, that's not going to happen. And the reason is because there's no way that you can afford all of that cost for a 5K ACV deal. There's no way. You can't, have, you can't even afford an SDR and an AE combined at 5K ACV deals. Your CAC payback will be too high to scale. So you can do it to get to your first million, maybe your first three, depending on how much cash you raise. But it will not scale when you have CAC paybacks in the like three, four, five years on your sales expenses. And then you have an SDR and an AE, and then you add on top of it like $100,000 a month in media spend. And you just cannot afford all of those expenses to acquire a $5,000 a year customer, which means that they pay you five, like less than $500 a month. And you can't afford all of those expenses. Like an AE is not going to be able to close enough deals to pay for their own salary. And so if you are and the cutoff that comes full circle, because we t- I talked about this with Justin Welsh in LA in February of 2020. And at that point, his sort of like back of the napkin math was excluding marketing costs, just in outbound sales to be able to make the math make sense to have an SDR and an AE to run outbound. You need to be selling 15, 12 to 15K a year deals. And you can reference the uh, that clip, that video is still live and it was a really awesome session. So feel free to reference that. Justin provided more detailed math as to why. But if you are in this like 3K to 10K ACV range, you need to figure out how to be going product-led stat. You cannot afford to have a manual sales person selling deals of that size, especially if you're in the lower tier, less than 6K. It just is not going to work. You need to figure out how to have a freemium model. You need to figure out how to grow that account touchless or very lightly sales-assisted and then focus your sales team on closing enterprise 20K plus ACV deals. It's just purely not going to scale. And I see it over and over and over again. And I can't believe that there's nobody out there telling companies that they can't do this. Like, It's probably talked to 15 or 20 companies that are doing this in the past six months. Who's telling them to do this? I'm super confused as to where this information is coming from. It's got to... Not here to point fingers, but it feels like it's coming from the investors because that's the way that you would grow a company in growth at all cost mode in 2009 to 2015. But there's been a ton of things that have changed in a B2B buying process that has dramatically decreased the efficiency of that. Um, and so before you think about all that stuff, if you just did some quick math on how many deals can our AEs close, how many meetings could an AE book, how many meetings could we generate through marketing that close at a high rate, you start to put those things together, you would see that the math doesn't work. And so this is more of a PSA. I see it over and over again. It's, it's predominantly happens in early stage companies, but I've seen some really late stage companies that go through the exact same thing. 
And if you don't have an expansion, a deep expansion play where you sell a 5k deal and that becomes a 50k ARR deal in the first like six to 18 months, if you don't have that expansion play and they truly are sitting at this like low deal size for a long time, it's just purely not going to scale. And so hope people consider that. And if you are in that ACV range, focus on how do I provide more value and get the ACV up so I can go and, and do that? How do I uh, change my product or my messaging or my strategy to be able to focus on more upper market deals where the ACVs are higher to support this type of motion? How do I create a touchless self-serve motion to get people that are going to pay these types of prices into the product and moved in without, without any type of sales action? But then we can follow up with PQLs or, or whatever you want to call it that are highly qualified or actually ready to upgrade instead of spending time with sales, sending sales teams time with people that are not going to close at enough of a rate to justify the cost and the expenses of doing it. So that's what I got here. If you're in that ACV range, would highly recommend you take one or all three of those things. But the product-led motion is... It's got to happen at that range from now on. That was perfect. No big questions. So let's wrap up. Yeah, that's perfect. Long we want to get early. We all, yeah. we all got early flights tomorrow <laughs> heading out to Arizona. So I'm going to get some, some sleep. Great to have everyone here. It was great to have a couple of questions from new people. Chris is starting his podcast. And yeah, we're coming up. I think uh, it's not next week, but I think it's the week after, right? So two yeah, weeks from now, two weeks from tonight. Two weeks from now, we got episode 100 of Demand Gen Live. Uh, we got a special guest. I'm sure that you all can guess who that is. The man, the myth, the legend, Gatano Denardi uh, from episode one. He was probably on the first uh, like 30, maybe more episodes. We can check. Um, we'll be back. Gatano has been a uh, major part of the success of this and and uh, looking forward to a couple of extra special uh parts of the show so if you all can make it on tuesday march 8th i believe it is would love to have you all here at 7 30 and uh hope you all have a great week and we'll catch you next tuesday hey everyone really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the state of demand gen podcast and i just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there we just crossed over 40 thousand listeners across the world to this podcast and so super grateful and super happy that for all of you really appreciate you tuning in attending the live events engaging on the linkedin content and now watching us get started up and engaging on youtube and tiktok and so thank you thank you thank you to all of you and if you haven't already if you've gotten value from the podcast i would really appreciate if you could go to apple podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating it would mean a lot to me Thank you very much, and we'll see you for the next episode.